Despite the response to HIV over the past 40 years and important breakthroughs in primary and secondary prevention, the rate of new infections is stuck at about 35,000 per year in the United States, and racial disparities are worsening. One limitation is that only a quarter of the people who would benefit from pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, are using it. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jeremiah Johnson, Acting Executive Director of the organization PrEP for All. Mr. Johnson has co-authored a perspective article about a proposed national program focused on expanding access to PrEP. Mr. Johnson, could you start by giving a bit of background on pre-exposure prophylaxis? How is it used and how effective is it at preventing HIV infection? So pre-exposure prophylaxis is the use of certain antiretrovirals prophylactically to help HIV-negative individuals avoid acquiring the virus. The first PrEP regimen was approved in July 2012, a little over a decade ago, tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate combined with emtricitabine or TDF-FTC, a highly well-studied medication that has been around for even longer for the treatment of HIV, incredibly safe and through a daily oral formulation has been found to be upwards of 99% effective in preventing sexual acquisition of HIV and estimated through at least one study to prevent acquisition amongst people who inject drugs by 74%. And so it's an excellent choice and one that newly has generic competition in the United States and a reduced price that is opening up some of the conversations that we're having right now around national PrEP access. A second very similar regimen that is also a daily oral regimen was approved in October 2019, which includes tenofovir alafenamide, a different version of tenofovir. Unfortunately, it was not studied amongst individuals at risk of vaginal exposure for HIV, and so has not been indicated for cisgender women and trans men in the same way as TDF-FTC. And then most recently, in December of 2021, a long-acting injectable version of cabotegravir was approved by FDA, which is an injectable option once every two months that was found to have significant adherence benefits for men who have sex with men and cisgender women in South Africa in two clinical trials. And if we're able to overcome a high list price of $22,500 a year, it could hopefully become a useful option for a number of communities. So despite the efficacy of those regimens, you write in your perspective article that a minority of the 1.2 million people in the United States who might benefit from PrEP are actually using it. So what have been the biggest barriers to uptake? So unfortunately, we make it incredibly difficult for communities to access PrEP. And particularly for marginalized communities that are most in need of PrEP access. There are compounding issues related with stigma. We know that there are difficult racial dynamics within medical systems and transphobia that makes it hard for some of the communities that most need access to PrEP to access it, which is part of why we are seeing incredibly low uptake within certain key populations. You mentioned in the opening that 25% of overall individuals that CDC has has recommended as being most in need of PrEP access are accessing it, which is far below our national goal that we have set right now through the ending the HIV epidemic of 50%. But when you break that down by racial disparities, we're only getting it to 9% of Black and African American individuals. When we look at transmission route, we're maybe only getting it to 1% of individuals who inject drugs. And so there's a lot of disparity there that we really need to overcome. 
In our discussion around a national prep program, we've really been centering it around three sort of areas for intervention that we need to look at and that we believe that federal investment and CDC leadership could really make a difference in. One is that coverage, particularly if you're looking at uninsured and underinsured populations, of all of the required services for people to access PrEP is simply too complicated and fragmented. We really need for individuals to have a simple pathway to coverage for medications, for required labs and provider visits. And as of right now, we have not made that pathway very simple for individuals, and it's an enormous barrier. Two, we don't have enough touch points within communities for people to access PrEP prescriptions. So while we do have some excellent centers of care, we have some excellent community health centers and CBOs out there that are doing a lot of work those are not always geographically accessible or due to stigma reasons or histories of medical mistrust. Those are not always great access points for everyone who needs access to PrEP. And so we believe we need to expand the provider network. And then finally, we still haven't gotten the message of PrEP out to every community that can most benefit from PrEP access. Not enough people in all marginalized communities and all of the communities disproportionately impacted know what PrEP is, know that PrEP is an option for them, and certainly don't know exactly how to get it. And so our understanding as we've been talking, especially over the past two years, with several different major thought leaders on PrEP access, is that we need to simultaneously address those three areas, those three difficulties, in order to really open the floodgates on PrEP for every community that could use it. You also talk in your article about the importance of federal negotiation of medication and laboratory test prices for uninsured people and how central that would need to be to a national PrEP program. How much would prices need to come down to make PrEP broadly affordable? So this brings us back to sort of the coverage piece. So we need all of this intervention on simplified coverage, provider network expansion, and greater awareness amongst community members. A central part of making coverage simple is that we need to create some sort of mechanism at the federal level that can really help us expend scarce federal dollars to get PrEP to as many individuals as possible and to do that in a way that really is simple and accessible for end PrEP users. And so what we've been calling for at PrEP for All, at least since 2018, is what we've been calling a PrEP Pass, which basically should be some sort of option that individuals can download that is simple for coverage for medication and labs wherever they are able to access those services. By creating that at a federal level and creating a centralized federal reimbursement mechanism, which could be something as simple as the CDC contracting with a billing administrator to act as the coverage entity for medications and labs, the federal government could also set maximum allowable costs and fee schedules that ensure that the dollars that we invest into that mechanism stretch as far as possible. Now, the good news right now is that because we have generic competition for TDFFTC since April 2021, we've seen a dramatic reduction in the price of the medication. List prices for brand new medications continue to hover around $2,000 a month. Nationally, we are seeing on average generic TDFFTC available for less than $20 a month. And so we believe that the CDC has a role here in this to work with those generic competitors to garner contracts that harness that public health pricing of PrEP and allow us to create more flexible coverage mechanisms for people to access it. In addition, 
the federal government could work with national lab services with LabCorp and Quest to create an expansive network, create a fee schedule so that we're not getting overcharged on labs for individuals, and really open a network for individuals to go and get lab services wherever they live. Getting back to the issue of expanding provider networks, you talk in your article about what you call a hub-and-spokes delivery model. Can you describe what that approach would look like? So what we see happening with a hub-and-spokes model is that we could really leverage the CDC's capacity as a grant maker and its existing relationships with state health departments and community-based organizations to basically create a system where those entities could expand a network of PrEP access throughout communities, in particular leveraging telehealth options for people to have greater access to prescribers. So as I mentioned earlier, we already have community health centers and other locations where people are able to access excellent PrEP care, but it's not always accessible where people already access services. If we were to create employees actually at health departments or CBOs that intentionally go out and build expansive networks where people can access teleprep services in places where they already receive services, whether that's local health departments, LGBTQ centers, intimate partner violence shelters, homeless shelters, harm reduction centers. Those are places where people may already have trusted relationships with non-clinical providers, and we see no reason that that shouldn't become also an access point for them to connect with prescribers. This is an approach that actually we have seen work really successfully in Iowa, a highly rural state, but one that through a teleprep program that has been established along these similar lines has been able to help that state maintain high rates of PrEP uptake that is keeping it on par with places like New York, where we're seeing a lot of high PrEP uptake. Finally, what action would Congress or the administration need to take to create this sort of national PrEP program? And what do you think the prospects are in the current political environment? So the good news is that the CDC already has all of the authority required to create this sort of a program. And what we're really asking them to implement is completely within their power right now. What we need, however, are funds that are able to go into each of these different mechanisms that we see as needed, including this PrEP pass mechanism at a national level, a grants program for provider network expansion, and then awareness campaigns within communities. So right now, we're really calling for the CDC to use the recent $25 million increase to their ending the HIV epidemic funding line for FY23 to create a pilot program to show that this is an approach that really can work nationally and to help us start to build some of that infrastructure so that we can build out to a national program as soon as possible. But beyond that, we need more investment in such a program. We're estimating that to really create some sort of a national program, that the need number is around $400 million to try and create that program. We could start to really build out something with national access at around $200 million. So what we're seeing for FY24 is that we want to go to congressional appropriators and educate them on the benefits of such a program for communities all across America to invest in PrEP access. We want to talk to them about the cost savings as well. The CDC has estimated that for every new HIV infection, on average, 
it will lead to a lifetime cost of $501,000. So this is something that's a smart investment. It's a fiscally responsible investment. It's also something that will help reduce new infections and the burden of disease within our communities. And so as we head forward into the next year, we're really looking for the White House to continue to lead on an FY24 request for a national prep program, including a discretionary line that has political feasibility to be passed in this particular Congress, and to go to appropriators in Congress and talk to them and really show that there is a bipartisan reason for us to fund a national prep program because it benefits marginalized communities and also leads to reduced healthcare system costs. Thank you, Mr. Johnson.